Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice in the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Hiller. And welcome to a Thursday episode of the show. Um, it is, as we're recording this Wednesday, July 27th, the final uh, Juicing the Numbers episode in the month of July, which uh, is startling based on where we are with some baseball stuff. Uh, about seven o'clock here on the East Coast. So the Yankees Mets game part two of the Subway series is about to be underway. Um, which always feels more important than it is. At the end of the day, it is a two-game set against a National League opponent, which, boy, howdy, doesn't mean much, but there's always that fun uh, little knife twist of being a intercity rivalry, much like Angels, Dodgers, Giants, A's, Houston, and the Rangers is quite the same because it's like across the state, but still. Um, anyway, lots been going on since we last talked during the all-star break. Um, there's still some stuff that we need to catch up on. So to that effect, Corin and I figured we would probably be best served to just go over some bigger topics that have been, uh, inundating the, the airwaves and Twitter sphere, um, as we ramp up to the trade deadline. Do you actually listen to any sports news? I listen to sports talk radio for approximately six to, to eight minutes a day when I'm driving to the gym and home from the gym, because it's not enough time to make it worth setting up my phone and picking a song. Very fair. <laughs> and, I, and if we're being honest of that six to eight minutes, usually two to four of it is commercials because of the times I leave. I think the only time I have listened to any sort of sports discussion outside of like the broadcast going along during a game has been like the two or three times I've been at my parents' house where like there's just nothing going on and there's nothing on TV and they just, they have cable. And that's the only thing I think we could all agree is like palpable to listen to. It's it's so infuriating because it's not like it's people that share a mindset of you and I, and it makes it very difficult to listen to because especially with the nature of truly dedicated sports talk radio, which is we have four hours to fill. We just did this yesterday. There's not enough happening. Let's talk about our personal lives on our personal beliefs, which never goes well. Also, New York specific, listening to Boomer Esiason is infuriating. That's the stupidest man on the face. You know how infuriating it is listening to a former athlete and also conservative white dude talk about player salaries, changing which side of the argument he's on based on how he personally experienced it or feels about it. It's so what because like he's a former athlete, so part of him wants to side with the athletes, but he's also like a conservative white dude who's like pro business. So he'll complain when he'll complain about NBA player salaries, which just throws on that layer of racism. Um, 
And then at the same time, he'll be like, but the owners are taking in too much money and the players unions have to fight for larger contracts in baseball. And it's like, ooh, ooh, buddy, you cannot have it both ways. And man, there's some dynamics undercutting this that don't seem so good, man. Hate it. Oh, of all of our favorite people in the world, none of them are sports broadcasters. No, and universally, none of them are. <laughs> you go by the nickname Boomer. You know what? I don't even want to say broadcasters because there's a lot of like color commentators and broadcasters like at games that are awesome. Mudcat, Don Arcillo, utterly no amazing serious. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the, the talk show hosts. Exclusively the talk show hosts. Yes. Um, but anyway, not what we're going to talk about. But one of the things that talk show hosts have been talking about a lot because it is an ever dynamic topic um, with not necessarily a deadline approaching with the deadline because it could still happen beyond the deadline once the regular season reaches its conclusion. Juan Soto possibly being traded. Now, this had happened or the this availability had been mentioned just prior to the all-star game. So this was an active discussion last time we had recorded, but with the all-star game happening and, you know, our mid-season bull prediction update needing to be done, we didn't really want to dedicate just a spare three minutes to it. Um, so this is, has been a thing for about you know, two weeks. Uh, essentially, Juan Soto turned down a contract offer from the Nationals. I just opened my banking app instead of my calculator app. Not helpful. Um, <laughs> uh, to the tune of $440 million spread over the course of 15 seasons for an AAV under $30 million of $29.3 million per season. Now, while $440 million would make him one of the the second, the second highest paid or second largest contract in MLB history, just behind Mike Trout, I believe. I don't think there's anyone in between the, that would be in between the two of them. Um, Can't think of any. It very likely, well, one, it would be it would be a lower AAV than we see even today. And when we're looking at contracts that will be existing, you know, still within uh, their expiry date, ten years, fifteen years out, where AAVs will certainly be climbing. Uh, having an AAV be low for today is definitely not a good look for the value of that player and not just the player's personal responsibility to themselves to argue for the largest contract to benefit themselves and represent their production monetarily. But it's also not good for the communal good that is players asking for the most money they can receive in order to move the needle forward for players to come later and, and for the future of their positions. So, uh, I don't. People are acting like it's crazy to see someone turn down a four hundred forty million dollar contract, but it's like unless it was over eight years. I don't know. It, it, yeah, good on dude. You're twenty three. Good call. Yeah, uh, twenty three. And God, I wish I had uh, the list of names in front of me that uh, have his. WRC plus uh, his on base percent, like whatever the very broad uh, variables were that you wanted to put him in certain company of other players, benchmark him essentially. Uh, it's unanimous Hall of Famers and guys who you would find on the Mount Rushmore of baseball um, at 
23 years old. Uh, so the idea of him not getting um, a gargantuan uh, absolute albatross of a contract is a non-starter. Yeah, just um, to, to give you one of those um, lists, I suppose, I'm running a query uh, in baseball reference for most war through age 23 season. Um, actually, hold on. What is, um, what's Juan Soto's war for this year so far? Oh, Jesus. Because I might have to adjust this because uh, baseball reference, I'm not sure we'll include him. In this thing hold on um Juan Let's Soto see. really that's actually quite surprising I would have expected him higher uh is 28th Bryce Harper had more war through his age 23 season his career WRC plus is 154 which is equivalent to Willie Mays higher than Hank Aaron's uh, he has a higher career on base percentage than Mickey Mantle. Yeah, I'm going to go with OP. Um, I wish the whole OP list was here. Instead. Still, 28th is pretty fucking amazing. Such a good tweet. I wish I could find it. I wish yeah. Twitter was capable of, you know, searching. Yeah, hold on one second. Oh, this was fucking... Yeah, so I, I I got it to work uh, with a after setting a minimum of 500 games played, which as of right now Juan Soto has played in 560 games in his career. Um, he is fourth, <laughs> fourth all time for OPS plus um, through an age 23 season. He is behind Ted Williams, Ty Cobb, and Mike Trout. It is then Juan Soto, and then he is ahead of Eddie Matthews, Mickey Mantle, Jimmy Fox. Mel Ott and Roger Hornsby and Arky Vaughn to round out the top 10. Ken Griffey Jr. is at 12. Sorry. It's just what nuts. was the, what was the factors in that? Like uh, what OPS, was that? OPS plus through age 23 season, minimum 500 games played. Yeah. Uh, OPS without the plus he's uh, seventh highest behind uh, Ted Williams, Albert Pujols, Jimmy Fox, Willie Wells, Joe DiMaggio and Mel Ott. Mike and Trout to, was 10th. And to see these guys become available. And so that this is one of the, that's, that's one of the reasons, Jesus Christ, this is one of the reasons that this is not a three minute subject is because the fact that he's even becoming available, because all the names that Core and I could rattle off that are, have this level of production within their age 23 season. Um, well, or even slightly beyond or even greatly beyond because, you know, when you're talking about four years, it might not seem like a lot in a life, but it's a lot for a career uh, within baseball. Um, a lot of these guys are lifers. And part of that is because of era, you know, like you, if you were playing pre Kurt flood, you were playing where they told you to play. You had no choice. So obviously there's, there's a little bit of that, but even beyond that. Um, and if you're not lifers, you, you were minimal organizationists, you know what I mean? Like, Pujols has three organizations to his name and one of them is the Dodgers for like three months you know uh, and because you don't let these guys go they don't become available like this it's it doesn't happen 
we were mm-hmm. we've been talking the past couple off seasons about how big of a deal it's been that we've had free agency even be achieved by um, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, and Carlos Correa at their age 27 seasons. How big of a deal that's been because a lot of teams don't quote unquote let their players get there by offering big contracts during our beers to buy out a few our beers and to push their free agency a little bit farther into um, like the latter portion of their prime, you know? So, all right, we'll buy out your our beers for something that looks like a premium to receive a, a team friendly AAV on what would have been free agency years. And now instead of hitting free agency at 27, you'll hit it at 29 or 30, which brings down your market value when you actually do hit free agency. So it's a little bit of that trade-off. Um, so even just to have that recency bias of seeing these guys hit it at 27, that's a big deal. 23? 23? With a 15-year scope. That's a thing. Like, the Nationals' current ownership, the learners, I pretty sure are looking to sell this team. Uh, I think that's uh, been out there that they're not necessarily in this for the long haul. What's the harm in offering Juan Soto a, oh, man, I don't know, $600 million contract with just a lot of it backloaded into the last 10 years or the last, I, I'm being, I'm being, it should be backloaded service. because if you're signing, if you're, Signing him to a 15-year contract, the average AAV for a player in 15 years is going to be stupid compared to the lens we're looking at well, it for this year. You could sign him to a billion-dollar contract, and in 15 years, unless he busts completely and falls off the face of the earth, it might look like a pretty standard deal. You know what the AAV is on a $600 million deal over the course of 15 years? It's $40 million a year. That wouldn't even be a record AAV today because of Trevor Bauer's contract with the Dodgers. Now, granted, that was a short-term deal. But still, like Giancarlo Stan's AAV is like 36, as is Garrett Cole's. It's a a 10% increase in max AAV. And again, this could be backloaded so that the the last you know last five years of the contract are like forty five million dollars a year. And I'm willing to bet ten years down the road, when you start jumping up those numbers a hair, even if it's up to fifty million dollars a year, who the fuck cares? Uh, no one. Absolutely no one. And and this is just such a bizarre thing. To stop at $440 million, to stop just shy of $30 million, $10 million of total value, like $667,000 a year. Why? Why do that? Why do why you do that? Seems so petty. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, hmm. Do we have an idea? Like we've done the numbers that I'm sure you don't have in front of you. What one war is worth? We've estimated out usually just, but somewhere between eight and ten million bucks. So, him being 23, him averaging like six war a season, 
that's actually low because we have the the shortened season in there. So let's say seven war a season. He's going to be averaging. Um, what do you pay him as a twenty three year old? I honestly, What's, the more I what look is at this, fair market value. The more that I look at the six hundred million dollar contract that I seems so ridiculous to stare at on my phone. The more I think that kind of is what you give him. Now, he does have two Arbiers left, so the Nationals don't have to do anything. Um, there is no pressure. This is unlike the Bryce Harper situation that the, that the Nationals also had, in that if they don't get something done by August 2nd, I think is the trade deadline, then it's not like that's it folks. Um, he's walking for nothing. We get nothing in return because they have again, the option to trade him come winter meetings and all of next season and blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, one does get the feeling that there's some urgency around this part of that could just be this year's playoff push. You know, part of it just could be because, uh, fuck man, it's a cool thing to talk about. So let's write a bunch of articles. Um, but that urgency might be slightly manufactured because it doesn't have to happen. Um, now assuming it does, he has to go somewhere that can both accommodate his what will be gigantic contract because I can only assume that this is going to be a trade and extend situation like Francisco Lindor. I, I can't imagine someone's going to trade for him for two and a half years of ARB years and then just let him walk in free agency. That would also be dumb for aforementioned reasons of we're talking about Dudes from tw- the 20s level of pre integration levels of unfair, st- mm-hmm. ridiculous stats, right? For, for, for a young player, stupid. So, you it would again be dumb to let him walk like that. So, it would have to be a trade and extend. So, you'd have to have the money to do that. And we know what the starting point is high. Um, and you have to have the farm system capable of making this enticing for the nationals. And between those two things, I don't want to say it's tough to, to see which teams could do it because theoretically every team could give him a 15 year, $600 million contract. And most of the team just pretend like they can't. Um, but it does assuming normal behavior or assuming irrational behavior uh, as standard. Um, it does winnow down the field a touch. So to that effect, Corwin, what teams do you think are realistically in play for Juan Soto? The Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Mets. Um, I think they're the teams, the only really three teams capable of giving out a $600 million contract. Um, I don't know if he's going to... like. What it comes back to is Juan Soto, the only guy you can really compare to Juan Soto in skill level, age, and um, like the numbers that he compares to is Fernando Tatis, 23-year-old with a career line of, you know, a 965 OPS, 
massive hitter, skill out the bejesus. And he signed for $25 million a year for 14 years. Um, I get that Juan Soto is viewed in a higher light, a brighter, viewed in a better light, uh, viewed as a more skilled, long-lasting player. I, I'd love to see the Padres make a move. I don't think they have the money. Um, they have the prospects. I don't think they have the money to sign him to a deal. Um, I know the Cardinals have been a team we've heard of. They have the prospects and the players to get him. Do the St. Louis Cardinals have that kind of money? I, I genuinely just, I don't know what teams have the bankroll to support a $40 million player over 15 years. Isn't there, isn't there some rule where you have to put a, a certain amount of the contract in escrow when you sign a player? Is that uh, a that thing? I don't know. That I don't know. Um, MLB contracts. Contrary to what I'd like to think, I don't know everything about contracts, uh, yeah. particularly gigantic mega contracts in sports. Uh, you know, the tough part about having a stationary mic is that I have, feel like I have to keep adjusting it based on how good or bad my posture is. Like every time I Hold feel on. like, oh shit, straighten up. Like, oh, I don't think that's too low now. So if we're to look at MLB farm system rankings preseason from 2022, so these obviously are adjusted, would be adjusted a little bit now um, based on call ups and the draft that just took place. Um, actually, I could use one that was post draft. So yeah, let's do that. Uh, Number one would be, hold on. Is it still the Orioles? Yeah, it's still the Orioles. Um, now, uh, and see, this is where I, I, I don't want to sit here and say the Orioles don't have the money to do that because, again, every team has the money to do it. They choose not to. If we look at team payrolls for this year and think about um, wow. room that they have to move forward, the Baltimore Orioles have the wow. lowest payroll in baseball this season. It is $46 million, which means if they signed one, so to a $40 million a year contract, it would be effectively doubling their payroll, which they could do because an $80 million payroll would still be in the bottom. An $86 million payroll would genuinely still have them in the bottom five payroll in MLB, which is hilarious. So yeah, I think they can do it pretty readily unless you're going to try to convince me that the Orioles don't have the same spending power as the Cincinnati Reds who have 70 more million, 70 million more dollars committed onto their payroll right now this season. Um, so you said, wow, what's your wow? I think the Cardinals have the money to sign him to a $600 million contract. Their payroll is uh, wealth, which seems, you know, wow, that's high. Their highest salaried player is Adam Wainwright at 17 and a half million. This that's is the hilarious. final year. That's, this is the final year of his deal. Miles Mikolas is the only other player above $5 million. He makes 16.75. And he has... This 
and next year remaining on his deal, they have no money committed whatsoever. This is insane. Yeah, if we look forward to next year's payroll, 24 guys committed uh, on the Cardinals roster for $84.6 million. That's less than the Tigers, less than the Cubs, uh, less than the Giants, the Rangers, the Twins. It's less than a lot of teams. It's 18th. It drops down to 18th in MLB. So, yeah, yeah I, I would. They... $40 million would put them uh, right above the Angels, right below the uh, Atlanta to put them at number 10 in MLB. So, yeah, I think they have. That's what I'm I saying. Mean, I don't, I don't know much about their ownership, but, yeah, they absolutely have the money to do this. Well, and, and they've they have shown the, the players to do it. And that's what I was about to say. They and they've shown a willingness to move on from prospects to get top talent. It because they're not a team like the Rays, where they're constantly moving on from guys on their current roster to collect prospects to flex their development abilities to you know find uh, some side some sort of skill set arbitrage that can save them some dollars on payroll. That's not actually the card, what the Cardinals do. They have very good player development, but they're willing to move on from guys to acquire dudes like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, who they made trades for. They made good, aggressive trades for. Granted, the Arenado trade is insane for a whole different set of reasons. Um, but those were aggressive trades where they moved on from from. You know, I don't want to say they're their best, absolute best prospects, but good, really solid prospects wow. that could have commit that could have been contributors to them in the future and left to you know bring in guys that have today contribution skills. So yeah, I like the Rays, I don't think would do this for that exact reason. I don't see the Rays moving on from a, a stable of like eight dudes. Uh, because I, I think it would be too detrimental to their to their philosophy and to the way that they run their their business. Not that it would like hurt the nerds' feelings, but I don't think that they're equipped based on the churn that they exert in their system. I don't think that they're equipped to necessarily do that. Um, so I I would yeah I think the Cardinals it's, could be pretty good. Pick. It's what's actually crazy is uh, the only hole on offense that they have where they don't have a truly plus plus player or, you know, prospect that's very, very good is right field. Like he would fit into that lineup and that or not rotation, but the field so well in St. Louis. The only problem is they have no pitching, but they have great defense, which helps with the no pitching thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, so the Cardinals were actually also number two on uh, the post-draft prospect or farm system leaderboard. Number three is the Dodgers, who we have also seen be very willing to part ways with prospects to get win-now talent. They just did this with the Nationals last year to get Trey mm-hmm. Turner. Was that last year to try get Trey Turner and Max uh, Scherzer? I think that was at the trade deadline last year. Yeah, because that wasn't COVID. So yeah, it must have been last year. Um, they yeah they just for two really good prospects in uh, Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz. Kiebert Ruiz, God, I can never keep Kiebert Ruiz in my in my head. Um, and those were those were like Josiah Gray is starting for the Nationals right now. Granted, he's been having an up and down season, but but still like so is Kiebert Ruiz. Top, yeah, t- 
top end talent for a, for a farm system. Um, so, and we've seen payroll does not matter very much to uh, the Dodgers either, rightfully so, especially because they have a lot of money coming off their books. A lot. Right now, the Dodgers have the highest payroll in MLB, $261 million. Next year, as of right now, 60 million of those dollars come off the books. 159.4 committed to next season so far. Fourth, less than the, oh my God, the White Sox. What are they doing? The White Sox have the third most money committed next season. They have a lot of really good players. Uh, it's what I would say management uh, being their problem. Oh, the White Sox. It hurts to see. Oh, you poor, poor Socky buddies. Oh, man. Yeah, so the, the Dodgers are right there. Interesting here at number four uh, for farm system. The Detroit Tigers. They're not going to do this, right? No, they're not going to do this. They wouldn't show up the money for Manny Machado which was a layup for them to have done. So they're not going to do this. Uh, they have, they have a lot of problems. Uh, none of them happen to be the size of Juan Soto. Uh, the Texas Rangers have the number five one. They've shown the willingness to have, um, spend money. They just had a big off season with Corey Seager and uh, Marcus Semyon, um, but I'm not sure. I know they have the prospects, but I think they really need them. Um, it's not yeah. a team in a position, I think, to purge that many players. Jack Leiter would be gone. I imagine Kumar Rocker would be gone. Um, yeah, I just uh, I don't see that happening. Yeah. So the rest of the top 10 is going to power through real quick. Uh, number six is the Mets. We'll return to them in a moment. Number seven is the Twins. I doubt they do it. Um, I don't really have a good reason why. I just don't think that they would. Um, number eight's the Pirates. Same answer as Jesus. The Tigers. Just looking at their depth chart, man. I, I, it's just gonna make you sad. Uh, oh the Pirates God. aren't gonna do it because of a combination of they're bad at trades and they don't spend money. So the, the, get right out of here with that. Number nine is the Yankees that we'll return to in a moment. And number ten is the Rays you, we have mentioned previously. You know what I just saw yesterday that uh blew my mind? Uh do you remember how upset I was when Andrew McCutcheon got traded from the yes. Pirates? Uh I to this day have stood firm that that was one of the worst deals ever. Just completely gutted uh the city and the team and just from a uh locker room and fan perspective, just the worst thing they could have done and, and no reason to do it. Uh, I realized that they got Brian Reynolds in return and it's like the best trade they've made in the past, like 10, 12 years, um, which takes a lot of wind out of my sails uh, because Andrew McCutcheon was my favorite player, but still like uh, was, they had one good trade. That's the thing. I still wouldn't classify that as like they got a good player back, but they could have built around Kutch and tried to go to the playoffs, you know, a second. Right. Time. Context is still key. Yeah. Like they didn't fuck themselves long term because they did get a good player back for that. But it's like, fuck you guys. You could have done it in a vacuum. If they didn't make any other trades, trading. Andrew McCutcheon for Brian Reynolds as he is now probably would have been the right move. 
if you were building for 2021, 2022. Um, they were absolutely not doing that. Uh, so it is a ridiculous trade to me. I would, I would like to argue the Pirates' best trade in the last 10 years is uh, July 31st, 2017, when they traded um, Tony Watson to the Dodgers uh, in exchange for Angel Herman and O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Uh, Tony Watson, who has been a fine, had a fine career. Uh, he's played he for a long closer time. closer for a while, I think. Yeah, he's... No, he has no Power. saves. No, yeah, he couldn't be. He has no... Oh, that's, sorry, that's game started. Yeah, he was. He was your closer in 2016. Um, uh, back when I still watched. Yeah. Un- he was an okay Angel Herman has not touched the majors, and I don't see a playing stats since 2019. And Oniel Cruz is having himself a pretty nice start to his career. Um, uh, pretty, pretty solid case for rookie of the year uh, if he plays out the rest of the season. All right, so uh, he's actually not to- having spectacular numbers, um, but he makes a lot of really fun plays. All the skills are being shown, which is by far the most yeah. important part. Like he's he's showing that the capability Holy is shit. all there. Wait, what? hold on, hold on, hold. Uh, if you're in line, two, stay in ten, line. <laughs> I need ten seconds. We keep talking about Mission Impossible. O'Neill Cruz is three weeks older than Juan Soto. That's fucking insane. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. Wow. Oh, shit. God damn. O'Neill Cruz was born October 4th, 1998. Juan Soto was born October 25th, 1998. Like three weeks to the day. Oh, my God. I don't know if you could have three weeks to the day. That's just kind of three weeks. But regardless, that's uh, that's funny. I will say O'Neill Cruz uh, is five inches taller, though. So there's that. He's got the length. That man can stretch. See, si, senor. Uh, anywho, jumping back real quick to the Mets and the Yankees, teams that you mentioned much, much earlier about possible trade partners. Again, yeah, it would both make sense that they would push the, it would push the Mets payroll over $300 million. Um, Damn. Not just for this season. It would push the Mets payroll, which right now is second in baseball at $259 million. Um, their payroll next season is also the highest in baseball at $213 million. And I don't recall the levels, and I'm not going to look it up right now because I have a, enough tabs open and my life is already chaos. Um, but them, I'm willing to bet that that additional money would set them well above a second layer and as much as owners don't like doing it for seemingly petty reasons eventually it will have consequences that might actually be severe enough to warrant the um like competitive arbitrage of not doing that like there might be a competitive advantage in you actually trying to reset the luxury tax a little bit to not lose out on draft picks and have a terrible farm system because if you trade away a lot of your top prospects to go get one soto and you're constantly losing draft 
good draft picks because your payroll is too high, then I don't know how your farm system is ever going to get better. And when you start losing some players in free agency because you have to because your payroll is $300 million, um, you're in a really tough spot. So could the Mets do it? Yes. Um, but it would breed a lot of logistical issues for them. Whereas the Yankees, and I say this with genuinely no bias, are in a much more interesting position because while they only have $9 million fewer dollars committed to this year's payroll, next year, the Yankees are shedding, or at least are not actively re-signing, get this, $100 million of payroll. Committed to payroll next season, Ooh. the Yankees have $145.78 million committed to this year's 250. A lot of money is coming off the books next year. A lot. Now, granted, some of this is going to have to go towards extending some players that you would like to keep, like one good old-fashioned Aaron Judge. Uh, mm. However, you could sign Judge and Soto to two stupid contracts and still not make up the difference um, in what you're shedding this year as compared to what, what you're shedding between the start of next season and the end of this season. So uh, it's very much so in their realm of capability, even if they don't make any other moves to try to avoid the luxury tax situation, which would also be prevalent in the Dodgers do what they would want to do because their payroll is higher than the Yankees to the tune of $15 million heading into next season. Um, outside judge and Chapman, which I see are the two big ones. Who else would they need to either resign or replace? Okay, um, I would like think Joey Josh Gallo. Donaldson, unless he is, he's still no, on, he's, no, he's, he's under still, contract. Oh, well, that man is getting gone. I'll tell you that. Um, he's not, you're not bringing back Josh Donaldson. God, fuck. No, looks like Rizzo's still there. So I actually don't know. Is Jordan Montgomery? How do you get, how, how do you get rid of Josh Donaldson? Obviously trade, but yeah, I would package him with well enough. I would package him with one of the shortstop prospects that we have. Uh, cause right now there are three really solid shortstop prospects within the Yankees farm system. Um, and I think, two really solid catching prospects. And I'm willing to bet a couple of those guys would be moved to help negate some salary. Hmm. Um, I'm sure they could find some creative ways. To if only that. there was some trade that they could do to get rid of Josh Donaldson and replace him with a better player that they would want. One soda. Yeah. But the, I mean, the, the nationals aren't chewing that contract. So let's see so, the top two players in the farm system. Uh, Anthony Volpe and Oswaldo Peraza are both shortstops. Uh, Trey Sweeney is their number six prospect. Uh, Austin Wells catcher is their number four prospect. Um, I don't see another Antonio Gomez is their 18th prospect. He's the only other catcher I see. But regardless, uh, there's a lot of a lot of space there to to make moves. Yeah, whole 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 bunch. You also have an extraterrestrial as a prospect, so which uh, yeah, 
Jason Dominguez would absolute like I he's been one of the few prospects I've hugged when it comes to trade talks. But if uh, I thought you have you physically hugged him, I have made I have been the first man to make physical contact with the mushroom, and it was sweet, (laughs) intimate love. (laughs) Um, but you got to think best case scenario. Jason Dominguez becomes Juan Soto. Yeah, uh, best, best best case, case scenario, scenario. Jason Dominguez wipes Juan Soto's butt. Like we'd all like to say, hey, what if Juan Soto was like a switch hitter who played plus defense in in center field? And it's like, yeah, cool. We all wish Mickey Mantle was just found once every six weeks somewhere in someone's farm system. That'd be super cool. It fucking isn't like best case scenario, best case you could possibly fucking ask for. He becomes Juan Soto, which to that effect, why take the maybe he's Juan Soto, maybe he's Melky Cabrera, who's to say, and instead just go get Juan Soto. Like if that's if that's what it takes, it's one of those I'll pack his bags for him kind of kind of kind of moves. Um. The other thing, the other factor at play here that has been brought up a lot is Patrick Corbin's contract. Um, as Patrick Corbin, well, one, oh, oh boy, um, ever since the uh, ever since the election didn't go his way, he's had a real rough go of things, which oh, you love to see it. Uh, but he is signed to what is a garbage contract for the Nationals as he has been very, very bad. And is owed uh, twenty-four million dollars next year, and thirty-five million dollars in twenty twenty-four. Um, so there's a, a, a just about sixty million dollars left on his really rough contract because he is super duper not good. Um, I think I saw yesterday that negative one point five war. Sorry, the drop from twenty nineteen to this year, you know, when uh, certain substances were outlawed in baseball uh, resulted in like a 250 uh, RPM drop, which uh, is a lot. It's a lot. His ERA from 2018, his last season with the Diamondbacks to today, starting in 2018, 3.15, 3.25. Not as nice. 4.66, 5.82, 4.66, mm. 5.82, and this season, 6.02. He leads mm. MLB this year in game started. Oof, because it doesn't get better from there. Um, losses. This is not leads the National League. This is leads MLB. Hits and earned runs. You owe him. Um, you owe him sixty million dollars in the next two years. <laughs> uh, what do you? What can you say to that? So part of the the thinking, especially in that fucking trade tool, I see posting screenshots all over Twitter. I hate that fucking thing. It's so stupid. Is um, Patrick Corbin getting shipped off to other teams to help lower what? Uh, would have to be returned in exchange for Juan Soto. 
Now, there's there's two mindsets to this. One is the Nationals, I'm sure, would love to not have to pay Juan Soto's contract or um, Patrick Corbin's contract, which, yeah, I'm sure that they would mm-hmm. love to not have to pay sure. Patrick Corbin's contract. At the same time, if you are going to trade away Juan Soto, you have the opportunity to receive back a historic return, a truly mm-hmm. like organization changing return. And if you include Patrick like, Corbin's contract into that, you will by definition be receiving less. Sorry, go ahead. Like the return that you are going to get for Juan Soto will be better than any other return that has ever occurred in MLB history. Like this will be it. Like this will be the benchmark. You can't, you have to bite that bullet because the return, the amount of money that you're saving and getting rid of Patrick Corbin is going to be peanuts compared to the value that you would have to surrender in prospects. It just, it, it cannot work out. Absolutely. And it's not like we're sitting here looking at a nationals team that's in like White Sox territory where their payroll is stupid high and their season isn't going well. The Nationals have the 20th highest payroll in baseball. They're mm-hmm. one position out of being a bottom 10 payroll in the league. Like they they're like like Corbin just said, they're not really losing out on much. Just called me Corbin. No, I said Corbin. I I've known you Corbin. Patrick as Patrick Corbin once said, um I did storm the Capitol on January 6th. Oh, Patrick. Patrick. Uh, he said it, not me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a reason he wants to get a trade to, to Washington. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Look at his text. Jesus <laughs> Hashtag Christ. FBI. Um, but wait, if he gets traded, say to like Toronto, how will that affect his uh, committee hearings? Will he be required to stay in the country? Um, has he? Do we know if he's been subpoenaed? Yes, but he's defying it. Mm, bastard. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag not my president, not my courts. I think I think is the his whole deal right now. Um. Anyway, uh, what were we just saying? Oh, as Corbin had just said, like they're not losing out on much in terms of payroll like like you're you're not saving your the money you're saving is meaningless it's not going to impact your luxury tax it's it's not going to impact your ability to sign future players or your ability to pay your arb players um heading into next offseason it, it doesn't affect anything and to that effect you could probably find alternative ways to get rid of patrick corbin like this is not a do or die now or never situation. I'm I, I'm sure. Like like if the, hypothetically a trade happened with the Yankees, you know, just because I know the roster better, and the Yankees included a guy like Labor Torres in that trade. If the Nationals wanted to, I'm sure they could turn around and trade Labor Torres partnered with Patrick Corbin for some really shit return just to get his payroll off the books and to put Glaber somewhere else. 
like that wouldn't burn the nationals very hard to do that just to move the contract agreed and that is significantly easier on the future than whatever it may be than than including corbin in the initial return do you think teams are going to call and ask to have corbin's contract on the deal to help save them from parting with prospects or do you think that teams also value the monetary savings more and are hoping to avoid having to be saddled with Corbin. If I was a general manager, regardless of what my payroll situation looked like, I think you have to do the due diligence of trying to bring that number down to uh, the, the, prospect value down and, and taking on Patrick Corbin. Because at the end of the day, like Juan Soto, your window is now 15 years. This is no longer a, all right, we have X number of years. You got two years left where, you know, we have control of him. We have to do this now. No, you are signing him to a long-term deal. Your window is going to be whatever his window is, which by, by all means, it's going to be 15 years. Um, you, I, I think you have to take that into account. I think you just bite the bullet on Corbin and save your future um, or not save your future, but set yourself up for the future rather than right now. And how much time does he have left on the contract? How many years? Two and a half. The, the rest of this year and then two plus two. Yeah. Man, like it sounds bad like it sounds like a contract i wouldn't want to take on and i would just want to avoid it completely but that's you know that's just the way it is you're gonna to have to do that think of it this way think of you having to pay juan soto the x amount let's say you sign juan soto to a deal have it start after his two years of whatever his current arbitration whatever it may be just view that as kicking in afterwards and this 25 million a year is just added on to his that's just the cost of Juan Soto. And again, it, it can also work the other way. In a in a world in which um again, I'm just gonna pick the Yankees because I know the, the, the roster better. Uh in a world in which the Yankees trade for Corbin and Soto, they also can be like, all right, well, to get rid of Corbin, let's just package up uh, a couple of other players like you know let's let's try to get extra value from uh guys that are outperforming their current contracts like jose trevino um or uh, some of the prospects that we didn't include in the um fucking goddamn what do you may call it uh juan soto hypothetical trade uh like you know if ken waldachuk ends up not being a part of that trade like package him along with Patrick Corbin. It goes both ways. You can find another alternative way to get Corbin off your payroll too if that's really such a big deal to you by moving on from other dudes. You know? Money's imaginary. It's not real. We like to pretend this. It's not real. Especially in a world where salary cap isn't real. Not that it's not real in the way the NFL salary cap isn't real. real. It does not exist. Money is like pigeons. 
Josh, do you have any uh, do you have any major points you still want to talk about with Juan Soto? Uh, no, I was actually just about to move on. <laughs> yeah, because it's been one hour on topic one. Yeah, we're going to breeze through the rest of these a little bit because they weren't as serious. Um, specifically, the next one, which I'm we are going to mention because it has been starting to be a discussion point a little bit, but the reality of the situation still seems rather tenuous. And that is, do the Angels move on from Shohei Otani and trade him? Now, this is made a little bit more interesting by the fact that Mike Trout, who is still hurt, uh, has been told news that his back injury is rare and will be something he just has to manage for the rest of his career, which means um, things aren't going to be super duper fun for him, um, which might mean a something of a reorg of the Angels to not have to put the weight of that entire franchise on his back, um, combined with the fact the Angels have been super duper bad this year. Uh, and have no depth and have a, a guy that is not saddled with a gigantic contract that they could also receive big value back from. So this is a tough one to talk about too much because there's not a lot of details. There, the, you know, like there's not a contract that they offered him that he turned down. It's still very hypothetical. But Corin, what's your initial reaction to a, Again, very hypothetical Shohei Otani trade. Unmute yourself, bitch. If they have to trade Shohei Otani and Mike Trout is just a shell of his former self from here on out, um, I think I think you just have to dissolve the Angels. You get an expansion team in Vegas. You start with new ownership. You start with a new team. Even if, like, even if everyone from the Angels gets fired and rehired in Las Vegas, you just have to start from scratch and not have any semblance of carryover because that is just such a cursed franchise. I mean, I, if I was in the situation of sitting in the Angels' front office and looking at the news of today, seeing what's going on with Trout, seeing the rumors fly around with show high, seeing what's happened on the field and what our future looks like. Harikari, like seppuku on the conference room table. Crying, eating, and masturbating just to avoid feeling pain. <laughs> it's, it's bad. I mean, you, I, I, you can't move those guys. I think this is a you go down with the ship type situation you fight tooth and nail to get a team around those two I, you can't move them your oh. your your fan base will be carrying pitchforks and torches down rodero boulevard towards and i don't know if rodeo boulevard goes towards anaheim i've never been to california that's just the only street i could pull out, of the top <laughs> hang out with the with the coastal elites out there in in libo libofornia um, Jeez. yeah, uh, it, what do you do? I, I honestly think it might be A's Oakland, like early 2000 Oakland A's level of destruction. I think you have to, you hang on to trout because uh, 
trying to move on from that contract is not going to give you good prospects. So there's Especially honestly not even a good point in doing the it. The injury news. With coupled you, you with the injury news, coupled with the fact that he's been the only thing fans have come out to the stadium for. Especially time. since if you admit that you are open to moving the best player, arguably in the history of baseball, the lack of leverage you have, teams are going to be circling you like vultures. And the only hope is, okay, he's the best player in baseball. Every team is going to be, not every team, because not every team can afford him. Um, well, you could retain contract. That is also an option. Yeah. But at that point, what are you doing? Getting prospects um, back. But I, I yeah. honestly think at, at this point, look, we've seen it every year for years where the angels do everything that we could think of that they could do drafting all pitchers, uh, getting two of the best players in the sport at the same time, picking up weird random dudes and trying them out, you know, like, like their development sucks. Their, 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 their training sucks. You know, their coaching clearly sucks. Their bullpen suck. Like everything sucks. And I think at this point, if you're going to trade Shohei Otani, you need to become out of out of necessity, you need to become the A's and the Rays and start trading people the fuck away from you. Completely firing your front office and player dev departments and building from the ground up. Because what they're doing now is not helping. It's not working. And all they're doing is throwing money in a pit and lighting it on fire, which you and I, obviously, we don't care. Throw all the money away you want to. But if, if, if I was running the team, I would be like, all right, this is just pointless. This is pointless. Um, honestly, I think I could argue for Juan Soto to not be traded much more easily than I could argue for Shohei Otani to not be traded. I have so much more faith that the Nationals could figure it out than I do the the Angels. It's a disgrace. I have so much more faith that they will be able to do something in the next 15 years than the Angels are going to be able to... uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Think about that time span. Think about that time span. If I told Mike Trout debuted in 2011, one rookie of the year in 2012, so let's go with that. It's been 10 years, 11 years of Mike Trout. It's been 11 years, an 80 war of Mike Trout. Imagine the hope in the hearts and minds of Angels fans in 2012. The sheer joy of getting to witness this man win three MVP awards and likely arguably have been robbed of four others where he finished second. And know that you will never, you will have sniffed the playoffs once, once for three games against the Kansas City Royals in 2014 and never since. Uh, what do you do? It's unbelievable. And it's really unbelievable. 
I, I'm, I, that's why I think they got to blow the whole fucking thing. And I'm, I don't just mean the players. Uh, I'm not even trying to put this just on the players. Like, they're player devs, they're minor league coaching, they're, 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 I, I, they're fucking single A bullpen coach has to go. I like ev- everybody, dude. It's fucking embarrassing. So, I, look, will that happen in the next, what, five days until the trade deadline? I think six, yeah, five, five days in the trade deadline. I doubt it. But it's going to make one hell of a conversation point uh, in the next uh, next three months. Um, so we mentioned the trout injury along with that. Do you have any points about the show high time trade before we move on? I just want to keep the pace going a little bit here. To wrap up. Um, no. Uh, then let's close out on the fact that the um, the Baltimore Orioles are not in last place in the AL East. And my friend, it is July. In fact, it's almost August. I don't think we've been able to say this since 2017, 2018. I mean, incredible. And part of it's because the Orioles are currently 500, which, uh, hallelujah, or 505, I should say, just above 500. But part of it is because the Red Sox, have decided that they hate the playoffs and don't want to go. I'm not sure which one's more impressive, honestly. I mean, it's definitely the Orioles in my mind. Like if you told me the Red Sox were finally going to falter and fall to 500 or one game under 500, I would have been like, okay, like that. Like I see this team. I see this roster, this depth chart. It's not anything overly special it would make sense if they had players regress and they as a whole regressed if you told me that this orioles roster was going to be over 500 this season i mean there's a there's a reason i don't gamble because i i'd have nothing i would have said that's going to be one of the safer bets that you have all season we are dangerously close to the trade deadline which means that we are dangerously close to one of Josh's bull predictions coming true in which the Orioles trade four prospects, four people, I should say, uh, major league ready talent, which is nuts. And part of it, honestly, theoretically, anyway, could come from the Red Sox because they probably should be tearing down. I am holding firm to the hope that they somehow land Juan Soto. It would be amazing. That would be, I, like, I couldn't even put into words what that would be. Like, that would be a truly remarkable turnaround in franchise outlook. I, I don't know what I could even compare it to. I, I, don't, I, I don't know either. Um, now, the Red Sox... Um, have a weird kind of thing going here with a few of their players. Um, players likely to be traded would theoretically include JD Martinez, who probably is out. Honestly, um, this is the final year of his contract. He is an unrestricted free agent at the start of next season. So, uh, for a, a DH, an old DH. Uh, yeah, he's probably he's probably going to be gone. Go 
find some mild success somewhere else. Um, Xander Bogarts has been hotly discussed. Now he has four more years left to his contract and a full no trade clause. He is very affordable at an AAV of $20 million per year. And as a player opt out after the end of the season. So um, there's some of some other contract hinkiness going on with it, which would make this a little bit more difficult, but if the Red Sox are signaling a teardown and are likely to be bad, I don't think I'd be surprised to see a marquee player be like, yeah, fuck this. I'm out. Especially after seeing the Red Sox dick over Mookie Betts and looks like they're about to dick over Rafael Devers, who is the third guy that would be very interesting to watch because Rafi Devers has one RB year left next season. And then that's it. They have not put a long-term deal in place. He has the rest of this year, next year, and then is done. A carbon copy of the Mookie Betts situation. Um, and honestly, if I'm Xander Bogarts and I see that, I think I might be ready to move on too. Uh, yeah. But for a, a dude who's been, I mean, killing it this year, 25, uh, so also a you know young guy, 4.2 war this year currently on the IL but was a was a top 3 MVP candidate at the halfway mark in the season if you're going to sell this year that's what hell of a guy to sell to try to restock your system um it makes some of the Red Sox moves from the offseason kind of fucking weird like you know signing Trevor story, which is going to look like a hilarious contract in a couple of years. But um, I don't, do you think the Red Sox are sellers? Uh, I feel like they have to be. I just, they've been trying to bandaid it together for a couple of years now. Um, and they have clearly been treading water while also sinking. Uh, they're barely keeping their head up, but they are losing height day by day. Um, I think they got to start selling and they got to start looking towards the future. Cause I just like, I get that there's window left with Devers and Bogarts, but you really just don't have anything else there to complete that team. And you, you have to consider the fact that your two options at this point in time are to either increase payroll because you have to pay Devers um, and you have to try to find some replacements for guys like JT Martinez, who at this point in time would be more expensive because JD's AAV is under $20 million a year. Um, so you'd either have to commit more money to payroll to try to extend your window or shed and try to build for three to five years down the line. And the Red Sox right now have the sixth highest payroll in baseball at $200 million a year uh, in, in, in this year. So um, given the fact that the owner hired Heim Bloom to be their GM from the Rays, I think is pretty good guidance as to which direction they're likely to head in. So all that to say, it's going to be a very interesting more so than, than usual. Um, trade deadline coming up we're again recording this on july 27th which means there's there's only but a few handful of days away till the actual trade deadline our next recording date 
will be July 31st, which means we'll be not past the trade deadline yet, but very much so up against it. So hopefully by the time we record next, some moves will have happened that could be some indication as to where the rest of the market will be, because typically these things, the way these things go is once the dominoes start falling, things kind of ramp up um, as scarcity takes hold. So, you know, we, we will see. So uh, at our next Thursday recording on the third, the trade deadline will have officially passed. So we'll be able to collect ourselves after the dust settles, but it could, it could be a very hectic week. Um, Granted, we've spoken heavily in hypotheticals significantly more so than we typically do. So it could end up being quiet. It could end up being that a lot of this gets pushed into the winter meetings um, or it could be absolute fucking chaos. Who knows? Chaos, please. Chaos is the way to go, baby. Chaos is a ladder. All right, buddy. Anything else before we get out of here? Um, while we were going through all this, I saw that Cabrian Hayes is currently up to two DWAR on the season. Uh, just wow. past the halfway point, which is nuts. Fucking insane. So, uh, good on him. Uh, everyone else, go fuck yourself. I can get behind that message. I can, I, I, can get, message. I, I can get behind that campaign. Uh, all right. Well, then, yeah, his outs above average, 99th percentile. Way to go, Cabrian. Um, yeah, if you, um, if you'd like to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at JuicingPod. Like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corbin Heller for to follow myself on Twitter. You can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you like to send emails to the show, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.